It's a bit of a, a special week here in Washington. How many of you um, went down to the mall and, and listened to the Dalai Lama? Can I see by hands up? Yeah, a good handful. How many on the radio or otherwise uh, listened? And yeah, I've had a number of people share with me impressions and um, the word specialness and the sense of um, open-heartedness and spirit and a lot of different languaging for some sense that. Um, there's a contagious quality when somebody is awake and open-hearted and I don't, in this lifetime I haven't borne witness to any individual um, having the same response of how many people from different walks and different viewpoints in some way deeply kind of trust and respect and appreciate the spirit that lives through him. Uh, It very much fits with what we're going to be talking about tonight is the three refuges called the Triple Gem that really are the gateways to waking up. And they're very explicit in the Buddhist tradition and you can find them in all the different mystical and wisdom traditions. There's something uh, archetypal. And... The Dalai Lama very much embodies these three refuges. The first refuge, refuge in the Buddha, is really being at home in and taking refuge in the highest and the purest expression of what we are, the awareness and heart that's our essence. And the refuge in the Dharma is refuge in presence and you can sense that with him. Anyone that's met him, and and I've met him and many people I know, when he's with you, he's completely there. In fact, he'll take your hand and when you're ready to kind of let go, it's an extra few seconds, like, I'm here. (laughs) Incredible. Refuge in the Dharma, in presence, in what's happening. And then refuge in the Sangha, perhaps the most beautiful words that the Dalai Lama has kind of communicated is, my religion is kindness. Whoever he's with, he in some deep way communicates, here we are together. One of my favorite pictures years ago was taken of him and uh, Jesse Helms and it's a big embrace, you know, and it was just, there was something about it. So we'll explore the refuges we began last week and I'd like to continue deepening our sense of what are these gateways that um, really can come alive for us. And I want to explore it with the spirit that you can, in a daily way, have these three reflections as part of your practice and find that it actually can cut through a tremendous amount of conditioning, these three reflections. The only reason we talk about taking refuge is because there's a human predicament that we sense or detect in different ways but it has the common denominator of each of us can get stuck. We get stuck in believing that we're a separate and limited self. We get stuck in feeling separate from others. We get stuck in reactivity. In a most basic way it's described dukkha, 
our suffering, we get stuck in some sense of discontent or restlessness or fear that says something's wrong, something's missing, something needs to be different. So taking refuge means in some way recognizing that stuckness and taking refuge, finding a gateway back home again to what's true, waking up from the trance. And yet, as we talked about last week, every one of us in that off-centeredness and restlessness and fear takes what I call false refuge rather than taking refuge in presence or in the highest parts of our being or in our relationships with each other. We grab onto what's easier, a kind of temporary fix to feel better. Every one of us. And there's no freedom until we very honestly and kindly and courageously recognize our false refuges, how we do it. And it starts by kind of a general sense of, yeah, I I eat too much. But then it gets subtler and subtler how we notice just the ways our minds um, go into certain patterns of obsessing or judging or fixating. That's our refuge in that moment it gets subtler and subtler. For most of us, there's some way that we're trying to prove ourselves okay. We're trying to compensate for not okay. And we spend a lot of time and energy doing that. This is uh, an essay written by a high school student in his application to college. And the question was, tell us anything significant, about anything significant in your life. Dear friends in the admissions department, how can I describe myself? I am a dynamic figure often seen scaling walls and crushing ice. I've been known to remodel train stations on my lunch breaks, making them more efficient in the area of heat retention. I translate ethnic slurs for Cuban refugees. At times I've written award-winning operas. I manage time efficiently. I can tread water for three days in a row. I woo women with my sensuous and godlike trombone playing. (laughs) I can pilot bicycles up severe inclines with an unflagging speed, and I cook 30-minute brownies in 20 minutes. I'm an expert in stucco, a veteran in love, and an outlaw in Peru. I once single-handedly defended a small village in the Amazon from a horde of ferocious ants. I play bluegrass cello and was scouted by the Mets. When I'm bored, I build large suspension bridges in my backyard and enjoy urban hand gliding. On Wednesdays after school, I repair electric appliances free of charge. I'm an abstract artist, a concrete analyst, and a ruthless bookie. Critics worldwide swoon over my original line of corduroy evening wear. I don't perspire. I bat 400, children trust me. I once read Paradise Lost, Moby Dick, and David Copperfield in one day and still had time to refurbish the entire dining room. I know the exact location of every food item in the supermarket, and I have performed covert operations for the CIA. I sleep, but only infrequently and usually in a chair. The laws of physics do not apply to me. I've made extraordinary four-course meals using only a toaster oven. I've won bullfights in San Juan, cliff diving competitions in Sri Lanka, and a spelling bee at the Kremlin. I've played Hamlet, I've performed open-heart surgery, and I've spoken with Elvis. But I've not yet gone to college please consider accepting me. (laughs) 
so we are in this kind of society um, where there's all these ideas of what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to be. And a lot of our lives we're living according to what we've internalized by, about what we're supposed to do and supposed to be. And our own conditioning, it's the culture telling us how it's supposed to be and our own conditioning of fear and grasping leads us to every day taking false refuge. Every day in our interactions with others trying to sense uh, how we can have others think about us in a certain way. That's a false refuge. Um, We have all sorts of compulsive doings and ways we numb ourselves when it gets difficult obsessive thinking. Mostly we're trying to feel good about ourselves. So you might remember Lily Tomlin, she says, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. You know that one? (laughs) The point is that as long as our activities are driven by a sense of a fearful self or a wanting self, as long as our activities are trying to in some way avoid something or get more pleasure, we stay identified as a separate self that's not okay. False refuge, any moment we're taking a false refuge in judgment, in overeating, in obsessive thinking, in those moments we can't take true refuge, we can't really discover the place of authentic healing and freedom. So I've described the path as one of forgetting and remembering. We forget and get caught in our habitual ways of distracting and what I call false refuge. And then there's remembering, which it's our very nature to do. Awareness wants to realize itself. The what we are, the deepest what we are, wants to come home to wholeness, to love. So there's a natural noticing, we start noticing, there's a sense of not aligned, I'm not at home. And that's the kind of flag. There's some sense of, this isn't the fullness of what I am. I want to be more real. I want to love without holding back. I want to be authentic in how I am with others. There's something in us that can tell that there's a not alignment and that it's kind of waking us up to come home. The three refuges are the gateways that actually allow us to re-arrive and they don't take us into being something better or different. What makes them true refuges is that when you take true refuge, you're taking refuge in what you already are. You've just forgotten. So last week I used a metaphor and that the taking refuge in the Buddha, which means taking refuge in your, what you might call your high self, the most awake, wise, loving awareness. You're taking refuge in the vast mystery of what you are. And that's like taking refuge in the ocean. Taking refuge in the Dharma is like taking refuge in the moment-to-moment waves that arise that when you can be really present with the waves that arise, 
you know, not resisting them, not judging them. In that presence you rediscover the oceanness. And taking refuge in the Sangha is sensing the relationship that this wave belongs to other waves which belong to the whole ocean and the flavor of that of sensing the waves and the belonging is love. So these are the three gateways. So let's go through them again because my hope is that for those that feel drawn you can actually at the beginning of each day or the beginning of a meditation take a moment and sense, okay, taking refuge in the Dharma, feeling the waves, feeling what's here. Taking refuge in the Sangha, sensing the connection with others and the love. Taking refuge in the Buddha, ah, calling on the highest pure awareness that's here. So we'll start with Dharma. And the reason I start with Dharma, taking refuge in this moment-to-moment experience is because this is the meditation practice that we can really cultivate, that can give us a real power to presence. I love the language of entrusting ourselves to the waves. That means that whatever's arising, there's a letting go into it. It includes pleasantness. Entrusting ourselves to pleasant waves You're outside on a day like today and you can feel the air and feel the warmth of the air and yet still that freshness of fall and see some of the colors happening and there's pleasantness. Entrusting ourselves to the waves means letting go into that and allowing that pleasantness versus trying to make sense of it or trying to sense how we can have more of it. Well, tomorrow's supposed to be this way too. Maybe you'll have time for more of a walk or whatever it is. Our tendency is to control and interpret whatever is going on. We miss out on the aliveness because we're distracted. We're busy commenting on things, judging what's happening. It's very hard to just be right here and say, okay, what's happening right here? Eight-year-old lost his tooth and he got very curious about the tooth fairy because that was one of his favorite things. He says, Mom, are you the tooth fairy? Yes, she says. He seemed to take this potentially jarring news well, heads towards the door, and then turns around with a quizzical look. How do you get into the other kids' houses? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we hold on to our ideas about reality. We hold on to whatever reaffirms our reality. We're most aware, though, this is entrusting ourselves to the waves, to what's right here, of how we resist. We really leave a lot. We go away a lot. We resist. When we get anxious, we get busy. Your mind speeding up is a sign of anxious. Your body trying to do more, checking things off the list. There's an underlying anxious something is going to go wrong. We're trying to get away from vulnerability. It's sometimes the hardest thing to just say, here, and really check out what's here. Like right now, really check it out. Because we spend a lot of our life running away. When we get here, 
there's a kind of vulnerability or clutch or twist that's really difficult. It might be here puts us in touch with a sense of really falling short in our life, like really not okay. Or here puts us in touch with a sense of loss, like how much we value that we've lost. Let me tell you the story of Melarepa. Melarepa is um, one of the lineage holders in the Tibetan tradition. And he was an interesting guy. He was really a crazy yogi, like really crazy. And he was also a loner and he meditated wholeheartedly for many, many years. So here's the story. One evening, Melarepa returned to his cave after gathering firewood, only to find it was filled with demons. They were cooking his food, reading his books, sleeping in his bed. They had taken over the joint. He knew about non-duality of self and other, but he still didn't quite know how to get these guys out of his cave. Even though he had the sense that they were just a projection of his own mind, all the unwanted parts of himself, he didn't know how to get rid of them. So first he taught them the Dharma, compassion, emptiness, how the poison is the medicine. Nothing happened. The demons were still there. Then he lost his patience and got angry and ran at them and they just laughed at him. Finally he gave up and just sat down on the floor saying, I'm not going away and it looks like you're not either, so let's just live here together. At that point, all of them left except one. Melarepa said, oh, this one is particularly vicious. Now we we all know that one, that even when things settle there's just that kind of core belief or feeling that just is still there. Um, anyway, he didn't know what to do, so he surrendered himself even further. He walked over and put himself right into the mouth of the demon and he said, just eat me if you want to. Then that demon left too. The moral of the story is, when the resistance is gone, the demons are gone. This is essence of taking refuge in the Dharma. When you take refuge in the Dharma, when you say, I take refuge in the Dharma, what you're saying is, I am putting down all my resistances, my ways of controlling, of judging, of interpreting, and I'm going to entrust myself to the actuality of life, just as it is in this moment. Any tightness in the body is resisting the moment. Any contractions in the mind, busyness of the mind, resisting the moment. When the resistance is gone, the demons are gone. And what that means is that any resisting keeps us hitched to a sense of a not okay, in trouble self. The very nature of resisting affirms to us that things are not okay. When we surrender, we become a surrendering presence. It's all okay. There's room. It also, when we really allow things to be as they are, we open to a kind of space and wisdom that we can then respond very intelligently and compassionately to this world. This is not about saying the resistance is gone, meaning that we're resigned and we don't respond. Rather, by not resisting, we open to a quality of presence that has in its essence compassion. 
This is Rumi. The way of love is not a subtle argument. The door there is devastation. Birds make great sky circles of their freedom. How do they learn it? They fall, and falling, they're given wings. They fall, and falling, they're given wings. So this is refuge in the Dharma and we'll just take a moment just to kind of feel what that means in this moment in our lives and then we'll go to the next refuge. So this is an opportunity as we often have here together to very consciously pause. It's an opportunity in this pause to let go of some of the habitual resisting, which means in the body the habitual way of tightening. Notice what happens if you let your shoulders down a little and soften the hands. There's very unconscious tightening usually around the eyes. You might smile into the eyes, just soften around the eyes. Slight smile at the mouth. This creates a kind of embodied receptivity, gentleness, openness. just to notice what's happening with no resistance. Aware of the sounds. Aware of whatever sensations are predominant in your body right now. pleasant or unpleasant, just to relax with them. If there's something lurking, some sense of some situation in your life that's pulling your attention right now, maybe some difficulty in a relationship at work, you can let that be here. And just with honesty, with a simple presence, just notice, hmm, so what is this like in my body? How is this playing through? Maybe you'll feel fear or anger. Maybe it's a situation that brings up excitement, hopefulness. eagerness. Taking refuge in the Dharma means opening without resistance to how the experience is playing through us.
becoming a surrendering presence, surrendering all resistance. This poem, Trusting Prana, trust the energy that courses through you, trust, and then take surrender even deeper, be the energy, don't push anything away, follow each sensation back to its source in vastness and pure presence. Emerge so new, so fresh, that you don't know who you are. Welcome in the season of monsoons. Be the bridge across the flooded river and the surging torrent underneath. Be unafraid of consummate wonder. Be the energy and blaze a trail across the clear night sky like lightning. Dare to be your own illumination. When we open to the waves, we become our own illumination. We inhabit that vastness of presence. Again, taking a few full breaths and just sense that you can continue as you listen to take refuge in the Dharma, to be very open to this moment-to-moment experience. Now the next refuge, I take refuge in the Sangha, is taking refuge in the actual relationships, this field of relationships, like really wakefully engaging with the beings of our life. In other words, one interesting thing that I've recognized is that the first several decades of Buddhism and meditation practices coming from the East really focused on being on the cushion. In other words, the whole emphasis, people left their organized religions and their communities and organizations to go and practice on the cushion and often retreats in silence. And there was not much emphasis on the relational field or being engaged in the world. It was a more go off to the cave and awaken your own heart and mind kind of a, a path. As things have matured, and it really is about spiritual maturity, there's been a deepened realization that our whole life isn't embedded in relationship. And to wake up means if we sense the emptiness of phenomena, we sense the luminosity of what we are, that that will be lived in our relationships and expressed by caring and acting out of caring. It's very hard for some people that have been traumatized to take refuge in the Dharma, in what's happening in the moment, without having Sangha or the relational field help hold them. 
I often get the question, well, if I open to the moment, I'm going to be opening to a certain kind of fear that feels like too much. And I feel like I'm going to be overwhelmed. And what should I do? And my response is, then don't do the kind of meditation necessarily that says, okay, I'm going to feed myself to the demons. Don't do that one right now. We've been wounded in relationship and we need to be healed in relationship. And what that means is that for some people, first being uh, doing a meditation with the support of a healer, a therapist, a friend, talking out things in, in, a, in a different context, gives a kind of belonging or safety that then allows refuge in the Dharma, in the actual moment-to-moment experience. So refuge in the Sangha is refuge in a sense of belonging and love and safety. There was an interesting uh, piece of research done uh, a few months ago at University of Wisconsin. A woman lies in a brain imaging machine and waits to get a mild shock. She's understandably apprehensive. While she's lying there, someone comes and holds her hand. If it's a stranger, her anxiety level falls a bit. If it's her husband, it plummets to nothing. The study is one of many that suggests that we have the potential to be each other's biological allies. That in Sangha, when there's a quality of friendliness, there's actually a soothing, a support, a nurturing to the nervous system. We're also, in addition to biological allies, spiritual allies. And... um, what we mean by that is that there's something contagious that when one person is expressing themselves with generosity it brings it up in us you know what it's like to be with somebody that's very generous the response is you want to give too it's contagious when someone's kind it softens us and we want to be kind when somebody's honestly vulnerable and speaks what's real for them it invites the same from us. That's what's possible in Sangha, in spiritual community. That each of us has times of remembering or forgetting. Each of us has certain areas that we're more developed in and we can help each other wake up in that way. It's described as a blessing. When somebody's words or when a gift or something comes our way that helps us to come home to truth, it's a blessing. And the field of spiritual community is considered to be a blessing field. And we can feel it even in the most kind of simple energetic way that when we come together to meditate, there's something about our shared intention to quiet down and open up that creates a kind of conducive field that invites us all in. It's more powerful than if any one of us went off to our our room and meditated. There's a power, and it's been through history that people have gathered to support each other on the spiritual path. We need each other. Part of why we need each other, and this I've found a lot in my own practice, it's very easy to get into the trance of being a spiritual person trying to meditate yourself into deepened spirituality. You know? And that's another trip. So it's in the field of relationship 
that we realize that there's really not a self evolving itself. That we're, what we're waking up to is a sense of the field of who we are, that field of belonging that these body-minds are coming and going, arriving and dissolving in. So in, in our community here, which is a very, relatively very, very new, the first uh, many years of IMCW, the emphasis was primarily on let's get together and train in the technology of awareness. And only in the last number of years has there been like this deepening of, oh, the real aliveness we inhabit and embody our spirituality in waking up together. So the spiritual friends groups, as I mentioned, I think it's 25, it's the number that I most recently heard. We've got 25 groups of people that are using that kind of intimacy of so how's your practice and how does that relate to your relationships or addictive struggles or whatever? Bringing it into our lives. I mentioned last week, for those that weren't here, that, um, that there's many ways to, if you feel like you want to take refuge in Sangha, there's so much going on now in this Washington area. And you can feel it in the air with the Dalai Lama coming. There is an incredible aliveness uh, of interest around waking up in a way that has to do with reverence for life, nonviolence, really creating peace and learning to do that in an honest, awake way with each other. So if you feel drawn to deepening your refuge in Sangha uh, with this community, again, I'd invite you to come to our gathering in November and I'll mention more about that or consider a a spiritual friends group and in other ways serving, being part of the community. So that's refuge in Sangha and just to invite you to reflect for a moment, just close your eyes. Again, letting this be a pause. Just sense what it means to be here. Just feel your here-ness. And taking a moment to reflect on what Sangha means to you. It could be a friend that helps you to remember your own goodness. That can be your Sangha. It might be some group you belong to. It could be a parent, a sense of your family. It doesn't have to be perfect. But what is it in the relational field? What is it in the relational field that really helps you to come home to a deeper sense of belonging and truth? Wherever there is love, that's an expression of Sangha. Wherever there's a commitment to waking up, 
to being honest, to telling the truth, to listening. That's an expression of sangha. We take refuge in Sangha by honoring what is and sensing our longing to deepen that commitment, that involvement. And again, continuing in presence, opening your eyes as you would like to. All the refuges lead into each other when you take refuge in the Dharma and you get very present with the waves you open to a sense of the presence itself that luminous presence that's your Buddha nature when you take refuge in the Sangha and you sense the love with somebody that you share and the waking up together what happens is that you experience that field of loving presence and that takes you home to who you are Refuge in Buddha nature is very directly calling on that pure awareness and love that is our deepest nature. Now I'll read you a, a brief story I like. This uh, Wilson Van Dusen says, I am a lifelong and natural mystic. I've known the direct experience of the divine countless times. What is it like to be a mystic in this world? In part, it's sad. Mystics can go through a long period in which they have experiences of the divine, but they remain unsure. Once, after I gave a talk in church, an old woman waited until the crowd of people who came up to me afterward cleared. I saw that she was not long for this world. Acting very circumspectly, she recited a short dream in which an amazing golden sun came to her and asked if it was God. Is this golden, luminous sun God, she asked. The first thought of my, of my standard reply was, well, we'd need to explore the dream and see what was in it. But then I was struck by the total emotional impact of the larger situation. This old woman is dying, and it matters very much to her if she met God even once in this life. I said, yes, it was God. And we both broke into tears. But how sad. She had the marks of a very spiritual person whose life was embedded in God and yet she asked desperately if once she met him. To me, she represents most of humankind. She's well on her way. The divine is who she is and yet she doesn't recognize the signs. Imagine your life if each day there was a sense of in some way recognizing, okay, this, the sacred or the divine or God or Buddha nature is what's living through me. If it wasn't an idea, if you really trusted. I remember one of my earliest retreats, the question was asked, do you trust that you're an awakening Buddha? And I remember my response was very quick, of course I do. Sometimes. (laughs) And I realized that it was very true that, you know, I've tapped into a sense of, and this this was 20 years ago, I tapped into experiences of 
just, you know, dissolving of any sense of separate self and just knowing that this awareness, this awakeness, this love is Buddha nature. And how many moments I've lived in this trance of a self who's on her way somewhere and has something to prove or do or compensate for or be worried about, just some small thing disconnected from that ocean identify with just a set, a very narrow, superficial set of waves. It's painful to live on the surface of the ocean and think we're just a few waves. The reason it's painful? It's because it's not true. And anything that's not true is painful. To live in an identity that's constricted, fear-based, is not the truth of what we are. And taking refuge in the Buddha is that in us that yearns to inhabit the fullness. The energy that allows us to take refuge in the Buddha, when we say, I take refuge in Buddha nature, or you can use your own words, I take refuge in the divine, I take refuge in the truth of what I am, it could be anything. I take refuge in God the energy that carries us home when we take refuge is sincerity, a sincere longing. Longing is really the voice of awareness saying, come home. It's that in us which wants us to be whole. So when we take refuge, any of the refuges, if there's a quality of sincerity, it'll open us into the truth. So it's an ongoing exploration for each one of us. How do we take refuge in our own divine nature, in Buddha nature, in the Buddha to be within? And one of the pathways is to call on some embodiment that expresses that Buddha nature. So for some people it might be Kuan Yin, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, And for others it might be Jesus, or it might be Great Spirit, it might be in some way the, you know, Earth Goddess. Could be any of the gods or goddesses or figures or archetypes that in some way embody wisdom and love. And to call on that is really calling on that energy that is what we are. The poet Hafiz says, ask the friend for love. Ask him again, for I have found that every heart will get what it prays for most. Taking refuge in Buddha nature is the prayer to come home to what we most cherish. Ask the friend for love. Ask again, for I have found that every heart will get what it asks for most. So one pathway home to Buddha nature is to call on it. Call, you can call on Buddha nature by saying, I call on my own deepest wisdom and purity and heart. And calling on it actually allows us to come home to it. The second pathway, that's the pathway of, of longing in a way. The second pathway is the pathway of interest. Awareness wants to wake up to itself and their interest is that quality of awareness that says, what's really true? 
what's real? And each of us has that. Each of us, even though we get caught in false refuge, we want to know truth because there's really no safety or freedom if we don't see what's true. So the second pathway to Buddha nature is this inquiry of really, who am I or what am I? What is awareness? And in the looking, because it can't be answered with our thoughts, it can release us into the actuality itself. One of the teachers that's inspired me, Punjaji, says, Before the beginning you are pure consciousness. You are the fullness of love in love and the emptiness of awareness. You are existence and peace beyond peace. Surrender is to discharge your river of separateness into this ocean of being. So the path is one of forgetting, continual forgetting. It's just part of being incarnated, feeling separate, feeling reactive, forgetting who we are. And the awakening is this remembering. And it can be remembering because we take refuge in the Dharma, because we say, okay, what is here? What is happening this moment and this moment? And there's a not resisting, surrendering into the waves. That's one gateway. We can remember because we pay attention to what's happening between us and we open to the love, we open to the fact that who we are is not separate, that we belong, that there's a togetherness. That's refuge in the Dharma, in the Sangha. And we can awaken by directly taking refuge in Buddha nature. May I open to the truth of what I am, to the awareness, to the loving presence that is my essence. So let's just practice as a, we'll close by actually doing a little bit of all three, just to give you a taste. But as you kind of set yourself, I'd like to read you from Thomas Merton, because he shows a little bit how refuge in the Sangha and Dharma come together. He says, in Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation and supposed monastic holiness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being a member of a race in which the divine spark became incarnate. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. So to imagine if we could move through life and look at each other and really see that goodness and luminosity that's gazing back at us, It's the same as what's looking out of your eyes right now. It's the same sacred presence that's listening right now. It's the ground of being. And our path is to relax back and inhabit that. Live from that. Take refuge in that.
So let's just take a moment right now, if you will, just close your eyes. Just as we've been doing tonight, let this pause be taking refuge in the Dharma. Just feel your intention to be with whatever is living through you. A surrendering presence to what's here. Relaxing back, listening, listening to and feeling the sensations and aliveness in this body. Taking refuge in the Dharma is to listen to and feel the whole moment. what happens when there's no controlling. To be a surrendering presence. take refuge in the Buddha, in Buddha nature, is to surrender into the awareness and love itself. You can invoke it, just call on it. Call on the most pure and awake and loving presence that lives through you. with sincerity call on it and if it helps to call on the Buddha or Kuan Yin, Jesus and sense how that presence exists surrounds you holds you like a warm and luminous light that holds this life call on that and let go into that. Sensing the awakeness and openness, the luminosity of your own being. As the Tibetans say, it's closer than you can imagine. Sense that. This empty awakeness is closer than you can imagine. It's more profound beyond any idea. It's easier. There's a letting go into it. a sitting back, the backward step into what's already here. (coughs) 
this awakeness, this openness is more wondrous than you can imagine. The entire play of life arises and dissolves into this source of being. Inhabiting this awake presence and sensing this body and heart that's right here with kindness, sensing your prayer for this life that's right here, this incarnation. What is it you wish for yourself? Offering whatever prayer resonates in this moment to the life that's here. Bringing to mind someone that's dear, that's part of your sangha. Sensing the realness of the love that's between you. And offering whatever prayer resonates in this moment for that being. feeling the field of loving presence that really is who you are, that holds all beings. You might think of a parent or a child, a sister, a friend, a brother, someone you don't know so well, all part of this web of life held in this heart of loving presence, your sangha, this life you belong to. How could we tell people that they're all walking around shining like the sun? That this divine Buddha nature shines through each and every one. Sensing our shared prayer that Tonight's reflections, this taking refuge, may be of benefit to all beings, may bring peace and healing to our world, freedom to all beings. And we'll close with a simple chant, the mantra Ah, which is the sound current that really opens us and lets go into life. Well, just chant it and keep chanting it like when you're done with chanting one round, just keep going and feel free to harmonize to feel as Sangha, our voices and spirits communing. Inhale deeply. Ah. 